0: Well, I'm, I'm, come on in, folks. Uh, get, a, get a seat. Uh, it's good to see you all. Welcome. Uh, you've showed up at a great Sunday, as Mary Ellen said, uh, because we can both uh, talk about God's love, uh, which will be my part, and uh, then we can do God's love, which will be uh, your part as we go and uh, deliver turkeys to people that are in need, uh, those that uh, are some of them uh, are really... Uh, super excited about uh, getting, uh, getting help. I've taken a few phone calls from uh, people during uh, the week, and it's really sad to hear uh, some of the circumstances where people are at, where their lives are at, and uh, w- the needs that they're in. So it's wonderful that we can, with no strings attached, just say, look, uh, you know, have a, a fresh, uh, well, a frozen turkey. with all the trimmings. Uh, enjoy it with your family. And uh, and we're just delighted to do that. So uh, I'm finishing up a series uh, which we've been talking about that God loves us. He dot dot dot. And today I want to talk about how uh, God really desires us to love Him back. So God loves us, and in return, uh, God is uh, looking to have us love Him back. Now uh, this week I. I um, Went and did a visit. I went to visit Eddie and and V Marie, and they've just got a a brand new puppy. V Marie serves in in the children's ministry. She's probably teaching some of your kids today, and uh, they just got this brand new puppy. And as you can imagine, puppies are super cute, and uh, you know it's like about this big, and it's just like all energy and uh, super fun. So I sit down on the on the floor. Uh, not knowing what the puppy's going to do. Normally dogs run from me, but this dog came uh, like bounding towards me and then just like jumps in my lap. So I'm like, wow, this is like a real cute pup. And I'm thinking, you know, that's just it. I mean, you know, I love the dog. The dog loves me back. And then uh, Alani comes over with a little, you know, plastic tire. And she says, well, this dog can do fetch. I'm like, he's just like a puppy. I mean, like fetch, I roll this tire down the shore enough. The dog's like off my lap, grabs the tire, and then amazingly, he brings it back to me and, and lets go. I'm like, you still a puppy. I'll do it again, he gets the thing. Come back and do it like four or five times. I'm like, what an incredible, you know, dog. I mean, you know, I'm trying to show the dog love. The the dog is responding, and, uh, you know, it's like a great uh, analogy for, like, God loves us, but he wants us to respond. And while I'm on Dog Stories, I was uh, with uh, a... <laughs> with, uh, with uh, Adam. Uh, some of you may know Kim. Kim is on the worship team. Adam, I was walking with him in Upton State uh, Forest and he's got two big dogs, like two Labradors. And uh, th- these dogs, uh, like amazingly listen, like they're actually obedient. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like a rare thing. I mean, like you don't actually, like Adam takes the dog off its leash. And then what happens, the dog, like just, they disappear, like into the woods, like everywhere. And then when you see somebody else coming down the path, he calls them. And just like remarkably, the dogs come back. I mean, come boys, come. And the dogs come down the other woods. He doesn't give them any treats, nothing. The, the dogs just ties them up in the leash. The people walk by, takes them off the leash, go at it. Now, again, I think what a wonderful analogy. You know, when we are obedient to God, God gives us extra freedom. You know, when a dog is, like, loving and obedient, you can trust him, and so you give him extra freedom. And I think the dog ends up having much more fun because the dog now can explore the woods, and there's a trust relationship that he actually will come when you call him. You know, so the dog's better off, the, the human's better off, and it's a much better relationship. However, if we all do our own thing, and we just like, you know, dog doesn't want to listen. Dog's totally disobedient, jumps up, bites, whatever. You, you can't take the dog anywhere, and you just don't have as much fun. And I think, in a similar way, when we are able to love God and we're able to respond to the way God is asking us to live, to obey his commands, it's not restrictive, it's actually freeing. There, there's benefit there. But today I want to uh, talk at a little bit uh, deeper level than that in a way because, you know, I find uh, today that uh, we're battling with trying to figure out right and wrong. Uh, You know, if you look at where we're going as a society and some of the issues that we're struggling with, I mean, you're like, scratch your head and you think, where's common sense? I mean, why are we battling to figure out what's right and what's wrong. For instance, uh, the bathroom bill. I don't know if you follow this sort of stuff. Uh, It's not exactly wildly exciting stuff. But, you know, recently, uh, the Department of Education in Chicago, uh, the Office of Civil Rights, uh, were very upset because some guy, which uh, identifies himself as female, wanted to use the girls' bathroom and the school didn't accommodate. And so it's like, okay, how are we going to deal with this issue? And uh, we got the same problem in Massachusetts. So the, the greater, uh, uh, what, do we, what do we call it, the Commerce Department, uh, the greater Boston Chamber of Commerce, they're a powerful group. They're advocating, okay, we need to have uh, free use of female bathrooms by males that identify as male. And then, of course, the common sense problem is, well, how does that leave, like, your daughter, my daughter, you know, particularly if you're, like, an eight-year-old, and how does an eight-year-old girl understand that there's some guy that is identifying as female? You know, it's, like, very confusing. And so the greater Chamber of Commerce is saying, okay, but we're not asking you to do separate bathrooms. That's not what we're asking. We're just asking you to, you know, have some tolerance towards others' sensitivities. But what gets lost in in the debate is like the common sense. It's like, well, what about the, you know... Anyway, I mean, I don't know if this is like, you know, if it's just me, I I think it's like, okay, we're creating a problem because we don't know what's right, we don't know what's wrong, we don't know what's up, we don't know what's down. Uh, There was another uh, sort of a, alarming, from my perspective, debate that took place at Yale. I don't know if you guys uh, followed this, the Shrieking Girl, or the video that went kind of viral, the Shrieking Girl. But anyway, the Shrieking Girl video, uh, you can go and look it up yourself. I was going to play a chair, but there were so many profanities in it, I, I didn't really know how I was going to delete them all. But uh, the upside is this, it's a Halloween problem. Okay, so now we're talking about Yale, you know, Ivy League, and uh, the problem is this. Uh, they were concerned about what outfits people may or may not wear during Halloween. Now, you would think, you know, my generation, and I'm getting old, uh, you know, students would like sort of want freedom, and they wouldn't want the school to tell them what to wear or not to wear. But actually, it's the exact opposite. The the uproar is because the students are saying, uh, we want a mandate of what is not appropriate to wear at Halloween. Now it is not the debate is not like whether you dress up as a devil that 's not a problem. Uh, the debate is not about evil or good that 's not the issue it 's quite okay to dress up like with an axe through the middle of your head with blood dripping down and that that 's not an issue that 's not the issue. The issue apparently is if you look like a native American that apparently is the issue and so what happened was the student said, "Look, we need to have." Uh, a, a mandate from the, the university, uh, an edict saying that this is inappropriate. And so the the professor, which is living on campus uh, with the particular, you know, section of the, I think it's called the Silliman uh, part of the student ward, these a professor, his wife's a, a, a teacher, um, and they write a very intellectual response to this problem. You know, like, is it a Ivy League University intellectual response is what you'd think would be the response. So before making a big deal out of it, this is from something called The Atlantic. I don't read this newspaper, but I, I, I got it. So Professor Nicholas Christakis, I don't know how to say lives at Yale, where he presides over one of its undergrad colleges. His wife, Erica, a lecturer in early childhood education, shares that duty. And before Halloween, some students complained to them that Yale administrators were offering a heavy-handed advice on what what Halloween costumes to avoid. So there was, uh, you know, not an edict, but some sort of uh, advice. And then uh, they get like 13 administrators to consult with the students, and they advise them, okay, this is, you know, how we sort of handle free speech versus... Uh, your, what do you find offensive, and uh, their email to the students went along this intellectual line. This year we seem afraid that college students are unable to decide how to dress themselves on Halloween. I don't wish to trivialize the genuine concerns about uh, cultural or personal representation and other challenges to our lives experienced in a plural community. I know that many decent people have proposed guidelines on Halloween costumes from a spirit of avoiding hurt and offense. I laud those goals, in theory, as most of us do. But in practice, I wonder if we should reflect more transparently as a community on the consequences of an institutional, bureaucratic, and administrative exercise of implied control over students. In other words, should the organization be controlling the students? Normally, students are saying, well, we want like free reign. And then uh, she you now goes on on this same sort of vein, uh, and then she finishes her email, says, I don't actually trust myself to uh, faucet my Halloween standards and motives on others. I can't defend them any more than you can defend yours. I mean, basically, Halloween's a complete mess up. You know, I can't tell you what my standards are. I'm not going to impose them. I mean, this is a continual go around. Uh, apparently it's not just, you know, with church folks, now it's at Yale. And anyway, so the upshot was uh, the student, uh, the professor meets the student in the, uh, in the public forum, and, you know, taking a very old idea, it's like, how about having a dialogue, and you express your views, and I express my views, and we debate, and we argue, and you're in the public square, and you'd think that's what they do in college campuses, but, you know, apparently that's really like an old idea. Now what you do is you just start yelling. And uh, so the students get together, and they just start yelling at the professor, says, you know, I can't repeat it, because whatever, you can get the video. And it's basically, you shouldn't take the job, you shouldn't, you know, I'm getting hurt, and you should protect me. And so the professor is basically saying, yeah, but, you know, your rights versus other people's rights. And they, I don't care what other people's rights are. If I'm feeling offended, you need to perfect, defend me and protect me. And, so, you know, the professor thing, saying, okay, but what about somebody else's rights? And And there wasn't an interest in a dialogue or discussion. There was an interest in the professor being fired and others being fired and heads rolling. And you say, wow, like where are we at as a society? How do we decide right and wrong? How do we decide what's up and what's down? Uh, You know, are we degenerating into just a screaming match, an argument? Or can we have a, a real dialogue? I mean, how do we decide what's right and what's wrong? How do we decide what's right and what's wrong? I mean, it's just a, uh, uh, you know, we're just living in a perplexing time. I mean, as a country, many of us that are immigrants that had to, like, study to become uh, U.S. citizens, uh, we had to take this exam, and in this exam they kind of explained to you, okay, there's three bodies of government. You know, you've got the executive, the president, then you've got the legislative, the congress, and then you've got the Judiciary, Supreme Court, and you know, the Congress is supposed to make laws, and the Supreme Court is supposed to like judge in those ro- laws. But the Supreme Court is not supposed to make laws. And so we okay, I, I got it. But it seems like this thing is all sort of being challenged or coming undone. Now, I've got to tell you, th- this might come as a real shock to you, but as we're trying to figure out right from wrong, what's right, what's wrong, I don't think the problem is with the president. I don't actually think the problem is with Congress. I don't think the problem is with Republicans or Democrats. I mean, all play a role. I don't think the problem is with the Supreme Court. I mean, here's the shocker. I think, personally, personally, I think the problem is the church. Yeah. I, I'm telling you. I, I tell you what, what grieves me more than anything. I think we've dropped the baton. Somehow or other, we have dropped the baton of passing on the faith from one generation to the next generation. And now what's happening is the majority don't have Christian views. And the majority don't see it the way from a, like a God perspective. And now we're trying to like vote this person out and argue with that person. But really, I think the job at hand is the church. The church needs to be the church. And we need to look at ourselves personally and we say, what kind of a job have we done? Have we passed the faith on to our kids? Have our kids passed the faith on to their kids? Have we passed the faith on to our neighbors? Because if we do, I think things will change. But if we don't, we're just going to keep fighting and having a different standard. Like, what is the standard? Whose standard? Uh, I really believe that the church is relevant for today. And the church is is calling people to what is up and what is down and what is right and what is wrong. And I think a life of freedom and a life of joy comes from obeying God. And let God be God. And let God be the judge. And let God... God loves people. He doesn't hate people. He loves people. And if we can receive God God's love, and if we can give God's love, I think we're going to be a better society and a better place. I, I, that's just my perspective. So uh, what I want you to get out of today's sermon is to understand as, I, as we look at the Ten Commandments and understand, well, what is the context of the Ten Commandments? What is it that God is trying to uh, communicate to us and how are we supposed to respond to them? Uh, that is what I'd like you to get out of today's sermon. So uh, given that what I've said has probably ruffled a few of your feathers. Uh, let me just ask. Uh, Jesus, I just ask you to help me to preach. Father, I, I pray that we would, that each person sitting here today, including myself, would uh, receive and a, a fresh measure of your love for each one of us, that you love each one of us personally, and that we would encounter your love, and yet you'd change us and transform us. And Lord, as we look at others, we would Love people around us, and Lord, I just pray that you would help us to do that. Help me to preach your word uh, in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you've got a Bible, uh, why don't you make it, uh, open it to uh, Exodus chapter twenty? Or if you've got a phone, uh, Exodus chapter twenty. The Ten Commandments. We. let me just read Exodus 20 uh, to you. It says this, then God gave the people all these instructions. In verse 2, it says, I am the Lord, your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Uh, Last week, I was talking about, if you were here, that uh, God is on a rescue mission. God is trying to rescue us, and he's still trying to rescue us and God starts off the Ten Commandments saying, basically, listen, folks, I'm for you. I'm not against you. I'm trying to rescue you, and I want it to go well with you. And, uh, and you know, what's kind of uh, interesting before you even uh, open up or get to the Ten Commandments is God doesn't start off His relationship with the Hebrew people or His relationship with you and I with a whole bunch of rules and regulations. God starts off his relationship with you and with me and with the Hebrew people with demonstrating his love. By, in the Exodus story, he's demonstrated his power over Pharaoh. He's demonstrated that he chose the Hebrew people who didn't deserve to be chosen, and he got them out of slavery, and he gave them freedom, and he provided for them with water and with food and with safety, and he blessed them. Uh, That is the context which we then get to the Ten Commandments. And as God has been doing that, things have gone well for them and things have gone horribly wrong for them. And God is saying, okay, now that you've experienced who I am and what I'm like, and that I really am a loving God and a powerful God, uh, let me uh, give you some guidelines, uh, some rules and regulations, or some commandments on how it's going to go well for you and for me. Uh, You know, it's like uh, having your puppy and saying, okay, I really want this dog to be fun. I don't want it to have all the freedom that it wants. I don't want it to poop all over the house. I don't want the dog to chew up the furniture and just say, okay, any freedom goes. No, I'm actually going to make some rules. Dog, you have to be outside doing your business. And dog, you cannot chew up the furniture. And yes, I will give you plenty of exercise and the best food possible. And I will love you. I mean, it's a two-way street. That's the way it works, right? So here we go with the commandments. The first, uh, and a popular way of breaking up the Ten Commandments is to say that the first four go together because they're all focused on God and the next six go together because they're all focused on on relationships with, with each other. So the first commandment, you must not have any other God but me. There's only one God, just choose one God, follow one God. And the second commandment, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything. Okay, no idols, one god, no idols. And then the third one, uh, do not misuse the name of the Lord. And then the fourth one, uh, it says remember to observe observe the sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have 6 days each week for ordinary work, but the 7th day is a sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. Now, of course, we read the Old Testament through the screen of the New Testament, and Jesus tweaked that uh, and said, look, He is our rest, and it's in Him that we get rest. But that's not to ignore the fact that we need to take time off. But, you know, if you keep it Sunday or Monday, take time off. Uh, God is saying, don't work seven days a week, uh, however you slice or dice that. So the first four commandments are pretty much saying, look, the way this relationship is going to work best is, Put all your energy on loving God, God alone, don't have any side issues, focus on God. And then the next six are talking about relationships between ourselves. The first one being, uh, number five, honor your mother and father. Uh, Number six, you must not murder. Uh, Number seven, do not commit adultery. Number eight, you must not steal. Number nine, you must not uh, testify falsely. And number ten... Uh, you must not covet. Now, I think number 10 is kind of the, the more interesting one out of all the others, because the others are pretty self-explanatory. I mean, you know when you've murdered, you, you know when you've committed adultery. Uh, you know. So what does it mean to covet? Uh, well, you could have the... I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Uh, you may, maybe they'll come up a new version, and maybe the new version will read something like this. You must not cover your neighbor's house. Uh, That includes their flat driveway, their nice snowblower, or the nice plow guy that shows up right on time after the storm. You shouldn't covet that. Uh, And you shouldn't covet your neighbor's wife. And because the Bible doesn't always use gender-inclusive material, you shouldn't covet your neighbor's husband. Uh, You shouldn't covet. Uh, And if you figure that one out, it'll save you on the adultery one. And if you figure out you know, not uh, coveting your neighbor's snowblower. You might not steal it. You know, it kind of leads into the other one. But the next part of coveting is this uh, you must not covet your neighbor's kitchen, the nice new appliances, the, you know, their washer dryer. You know, and the way it says it in my book, it, you shouldn't covet your female servant or your male servant. You know, like today, like not too many of us have female and male servants, but we all have nice appliances. You know, yours are just a little bit better than mine. And, Okay, so all those helpers around the house, we shouldn't covet somebody else's wonderful granite-top kitchen with all the nice appliances and whatever. And then, you know, it goes on here, and it says you should not covet your neighbor's car, their four-wheeler, their snowmobile, you know. Uh, okay, in the good book, it says the ox and the donkey, you know. Okay, they would use them for transport, and they used them for having fun and getting around. You shouldn't covet your neighbor's stuff, just like, no. Uh, and, okay, the latest version of the Bible that's going to come out, don't covet your neighbor's iPad, iPod, any screen thing. You know, just be happy that you got the Samsung Galaxy. I mean, like, where do you go from Galaxy? I mean, like, you got the whole universe. Like, i like got Galaxy Plus with lights. I mean, don't covet your neighbor's, like, screen thingy-majig that does that. I don't know. Like, just, like, be happy with what you got. You know, here's the funny thing. Not so funny. I don't know. Uh, it's an upside down world. You know, you can uh, live in Massachusetts, break seven of these Ten Commandments, and it's not illegal. It's not illegal to break seven of the Ten Commandments. It's certainly not illegal to have another God. I mean, you can have no God, several gods, whatever God, make up your own God. Uh, You can do whatever you like with idols. And, you know, an idol is basically anything that we worship, anything that, like, we covet, anything that we put our attention on, anything that takes the place of God, anything that you desire more than you desire God. I mean, that's a big thing. We worship a lot of things. You must not misuse the name of the Lord. Hold on a second. We use that as punctuation. Like, you know, we say a statement, and then you punctuate it with Jesus at the end. And then maybe it's just me. But, you know, this phrase, which gets used pretty often around here, like when you get surprised, oh, my God. I don't know if that offends you or not, because it just becomes such commonplace, such normal speak. It's, oh, my God, this, oh, my God, that. But, you know, for me, it's like, can't we use God like in godly context? Do we have to like lower it down to just like a a, a common everyday phrase? And that's not even using the name Jesus like inappropriately. Of course, that's not illegal in Massachusetts to do that. Uh, observe the Sabbath. Are you kidding me? We work seven days a week. We're going back into slavery, not out of slavery. It's totally fine to work seven days a week. Honor your father and your mother. That's optional. In Massachusetts, it's certainly not illegal. Uh, you must not murder. Okay, that one we can't do. Uh, commit adultery, no problem. You can commit as much adultery as you like, whatever, you know, equal, whatever, do whatever. No offense there. Do not steal. That one we can't do. No stealing. False testimony in court. Can't do that one. That's the third one. Covet. Are you kidding me? What do you think advertising does? All advertising is doing is saying, you didn't really need this thing, but let me tell you how important it is in your life and you're going to really desire it. I mean, we're going to start coveting things between now and Christmas like you won't believe. I mean, just look what's coming in your mail already. Like all these fancy, shiny things. I mean, like it's, You've got to cover it. You're going to want it. You're going to have to absolutely desperately have it. I mean, that's where we're at. That's that's, that's where we're at. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, right. I, you know, in, in Exodus chapter 19, God says something before getting to the Ten Commandments and I don't know that we always see things from God's perspective. From our perspective, it's commonplace to say, like, God, where were you? God, why didn't you do this? God, I prayed and you didn't come through. And, you know, like we're so self-centered in thinking about like what God should do and what he must do for us. But when we look at it from God's perspective, uh, we often get a totally different viewpoint. And I think it behooves us it's helpful to us we can understand god's love for us if we will take the time and see the world from god's perspective uh, look what god says in in exodus chapter 19 verse 4 it says you have seen what i did to the egyptians you know how i carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself friends Would that be your description of God? Would you be able to say, you know, God, I've seen how you have brought me on eagle's wings and how you have brought me to yourself, how you have protected me, how you have been for me. Or would we be like the Hebrews and say, God, you know, I don't know. you, You just keep like banning me. Every time I want to do my own thing and I mess it up, it seems like you have to bail me out. And God is saying, yeah, again and again, I just loved you, and I've protected you, and I've, from God's perspective, I've carried you on eagle's wings. Now, when we get God's perspective, and we start seeing life, and seeing where God is working in our lives, we'll say, God, you've carried me on eagle's wings. Uh, we start seeing what God is doing in our lives. If we look at the Ten Commandments as it relates to U.S. politics or U.S. government or our U.S. Constitution or uh, whatever, uh, I think it's sort of enlightening. You know, I don't know if you've heard this phrase or you use this phrase, but this phrase is starting to percolate up a lot more. We are directing our own evolution. We are directing our own evolution. There's a sense of, look, we don't need all that past stuff. You know as it comes up we'll figure it out and uh bathroom bill whatever else you know hey we'll figure it out we are directing our own we don't need to look to a higher power we don't need to look to god we'll just like you know we're the masters of the universe we're super smart we're super wealthy we'll figure it out just that's it and uh there seems to have been a time back in the founding of this country where it wasn't that way where there was a genuine fear of God and saying we can't figure it all out. Uh, we're gonna depend on God to figure it out for us and to guide us. And uh, as we try our best to, as a people, to follow God, God will protect us. Uh, so, for instance, I don't know if you know this, but the ten, you know, Moses is on the Supreme Court. Uh, Blake, you can put this picture up. But on the Supreme Court, right under the peak of the building, uh, you've got Moses. And you've got all the other, you know, leaders of people that be law or lawyers, you know, on the archive of this building. But right in the top, in the pinnacle, you got Moses holding the Ten Commandments. I mean, I don't know how long it's going to stay on the building. I mean, you know, the way things are going, somebody's going to want to take it off or build a new Supreme Court, I, you know, remove it. I, but there it is, front view, Moses holding the Ten Commandments. And it's such a great symbolic thing at the Supreme Court saying, hey, listen, you know, we appeal to a higher standard, to God, to His commandments. Uh, I don't know if you know that uh, as you enter the Supreme Court room, uh, there are two huge oak doors, and they have the Ten Commandments engraved on the oak doors. I don't know if you know that inside the courtroom, you can see the wall right above the Supreme Court judges sit a display of the Ten Commandments. I mean, they're right there. Uh I don't know if you know that uh, James Madison, the fourth president of the United States, known as the father of our Constitution, made the following statement. We have stacked the whole of our political institution upon the capacity of mankind for self-government, upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves, to control ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. Okay, so they're saying, look, we're going to sustain ourselves, govern ourselves based on the Ten Commandments of God. It's going to be like, God, we need your help, and we're going to do it, you know, your way. That's where we started. That's James Madison. I don't know if you know Patrick Henry, the patriot and founding father of our country, said this. It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians not by religions, but by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, this is like, yeah. where is this today? I mean, it's like, nobody wants to talk about this. It's like, we want to like, get rid of it. It's like, we're embarrassed about it. It's like, this is what got us to where we're at. This is, in my opinion, is what's carried us, which has made the, the nation great. And in my opinion, that's, you know, as we've moved away from this, things are getting less great. And I think we need to move back. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, who, you know, many would say is not exactly like go God. I mean, this is Thomas Jefferson. He said this Thomas Jefferson worried that the courts would overstep their authority. And instead of interpreting the law, they would begin making the law. And his concern was that there would be rule by a few over many. And that's exactly what we see the Supreme Court doing. They're making laws. Instead of interpreting the law, they make the law. You know? uh, and then the first Supreme Court justice, John Jay, I mean, he has something very politically incorrect to say. This is very politically incorrect. Americans should select and prefer Christians as their rulers. That's the first Supreme Court justice. Now, I don't think he's saying, look, If somebody's a Christian, elect them. Even if they're totally incompetent, they're useless, just like elect them because they're Christian. I mean, I'd rather go to a non-Christian surgeon for a heart transplant than somebody that's a Christian that's clueless about medicine. I mean, you know, it's like stands to reason. But I mean, like if all things are equal, you know, like if you've got somebody that's competent, I mean, there's a sense of, okay, we're not that smart. We're not that bright. We kind of need God's influence to guide us. And I think we're saying that the Ten Commandments, as re sort of interpreted by Jesus, is the way that we go forward. It's the way that we do life. And Jesus, you know, when confronted, he sort of boiled the Ten Commandments down to two commandments. And we see this in Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40. It says, Teacher, Somebody asking Jesus, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? In other words, you've given us the Ten Commandments, which is like the most important. You know, you've given us a lot of other laws, just like, which is the most important? And you know the response. Jesus replied, because we call this the great commandment. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment which, you know, the whole first four of the Ten Commandments all leading us there, pushing us there. And the next six commandments go this way. And then secondly, it is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. Love God, love your neighbor. First four commandments, second six commandments. If you've got a bullet and insert, and you want to uh, fill in the blank. Uh, uh, these are the three points I'm trying to highlight here. How are you doing? Here's a question I'm asking. How are you doing with loving God? How are you doing with the first four of the Ten Commandments? How are you doing with Matthew 22:37, Love the Lord your God with all your soul, strength, might. How, how are you doing with that? You know, it's a self-evaluation. This is not. I'm not pointing a finger at you. How are you doing with loving your neighbor? The second section of the Ten Commands, the last six. And the third thing is this. This is a question to ask yourself. When we read the Apostle Paul's command, the question I'm asking is, who comes to mind? Who comes to mind when I read this command by the Apostle Paul? This is Romans 13.8. It says, Owe nothing to anyone except your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of the law. Now, I'm not asking for an intellectual response to this. I'm asking for a practical response like, who is God asking you to love? Uh, You know, we need to wrestle with this. Uh, God God will put people's names in our hearts. He'll tell us who we need to love. Uh, and God desires that we would love people. Uh, you know, even as we move into the Christmas season, let me just read that phrase again. Uh, owe nothing to anyone. Don't sign up for the Macy's card, 20%. Owe nothing. Don't don't get into debt. If you don't have money, this is like my financial pitch before Christmas. If you don't have money, don't spend it. Don't go into debt. Don't owe, don't owe anything. And of course... This is not spoken in financial terms. Owe nothing to anyone except your obligation to love one another. God is saying we should be obligated. We should like like you feel the pressure to pay that credit card when you like got the thing maxed out and everybody's like putting pressure on you to pay it. We should have that sort of pressure to love other people. You, you know, like nobody's phoning you and say, "Hey, this month you, you're a little late. Have you loved somebody?" but we should have an internal clock like am i loving on somebody what am i doing about that and uh, i think it would help us out so you know this is a great day as mary ellen preached so eloquently in the first sermon i'm sorry (laughs) if you guys missed that but this is a great day why because all the hard work and i really want to thank you this has been a generous church I actually don't know where we're standing financially if we covered all the cost of the baskets uh, if you want to still contribute today's a good day but look i'm real excited we've got i don't know how many baskets 60 plus Mary Ellen, how many we got 61 baskets you know which is just fantastic and this is not like we're just giving this to some sort of institution and say okay go and do good now we're going to take these baskets today right now after the service after we had a chance to worship god and we're going to hand them to a family. We're going to knock on their door, and we're going to say, here's your turkey basket. We're d- delighted that you needed it, and we're delighted to give it to you. Can we pray for you? Would you like prayer? And they might say, we don't, that's the last thing we want is prayer. On the other hand, they might say, we would love to have some prayer, and then we can pray for them uh, if that's appropriate. Uh, you know, there's no strings attached. We don't, like, we don't need anything from them. We're just, we're just giving them and loving on them. Uh, it might mean that somebody's not there, and you ring the doorbell and just leave it right there at the door, and you know, check out the neighborhood. There's no dogs running around. The thing's safe. If if not, you might like to say, you know, leave a note. Come pick it up at the church tomorrow. Uh, but uh, let me just before we just uh, launch into worship, come worship team, come on up, so long. As we uh, deliver these turkeys, let me just uh, read First Corinthians thirteen three. It says this if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. You know, the whole object of this exercise is not how great we are or how generous we are or about us at all. This whole object of this exercise is that we can love others in just a real practical way. And I tell you, this is a great exercise as families take your kids. They, they, they don't have, they, they're not too young. Uh, you can go to whatever towns, neighborhoods, uh, knock on the door, and let them see uh, you know, people in need, and uh, let's give them a turkey bags. Let's just love on them. Why don't we stand, and uh, Brian's going to lead us uh, in, in worship.